Hey guys, it's Natalia, and you're listening to another episode of my podcast. Today, I'm inviting you to join another inspiring conversation about native-like fluency with a person who believes and knows for a fact that achieving native-like fluency is a feasible task. My guest today is originally from Kyrgyzstan, and she's going to be joining this call from Istanbul because she currently works for a Turkish startup, GetEar, and she's responsible for hiring legal teams across Europe. I am beyond happy to have such guests on my podcast because they understand the importance of infinite practice, of continuous practice, and it has never crossed their mind to stop. I fundamentally believe that their stories can inspire many other people. Despite the abundance of information on how to learn a language today, there is very little information on how to achieve mastery. Those people who have achieved mastery have no interest in sharing or selling their knowledge. They're interested in gaining more knowledge. They're interested in achieving virtuosity. And it's not their job to teach other people, but it's our job to learn as much as we can from those people who have made it. I myself was inspired by a person who had made it many years ago. When I was 18, I happened to volunteer for a project that was run by native speakers in my hometown. I was on the same team with a non-native speaker, but you could never tell that he's not an American. Everybody refused to believe that he was local. And that was the moment when I saw with my own eyes, that it's very real. It's not just my dream. It's not just an ambition. It's reality. I tried to learn as much as I could from the week that we spent together. I saw a person I could learn from, but I did not expect him to teach me anything. I had a, a whole notebook full of notes, and I had been using those notes for the rest of the year because I, I would repeat the exercises he'd showed me again and again. I hope you will find our conversation useful because I asked Nuri so many questions about her practice routine. What helps her? What does she do? Does she have a practice routine? What does it look like? How does she motivate herself? What are her personal goals? What are her professional goals? Because we all ask ourselves the same questions and we all are basically looking for the same answers. And I feel that my job is to help language learners and those people who are interested in achieving mastery benefit from this exchange of information. I'm not in the business of inviting celebrities or what we call influencers today because I want more views or I want more people to listen to the podcast. I'm inviting people who made it objectively. It's not my subjective opinion. I'm inviting those people we can all learn from, regardless of how many likes they have on social media, and regardless of how many of you know these people. I'll be very happy to introduce my guest, even if you have never heard of her, and I'm sure you haven't. <laughs> so let's meet Nuri and enjoy the conversation. Hello, Nuri. It's so good to have you here. Hi, Natasha. I'm so excited to be here. Um, Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think the last time we met was about five or seven years ago, right? 2015. 
And we were both sitting in the same office of a British company that was providing financial services back then. Yeah. I think both of us were kind of clueless about what we we're going to do next with our careers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and we figured out afterwards. It was really good. Yeah, we did figure this out. So today I want to have a conversation with you about English because you speak amazing English and you already back then I could hear that you speak very good English uh, and you're the person who learned it, who learned the English independently kind of, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, you didn't take academic courses where you have to be a beginner first then you have to be a pre-intermediate student and then you have to become an intermediate student then you become an advanced and then you're done <laughs> i mean yeah. you, you didn't take those uh courses and it always fascinates me how people arrive at this kind of fluency on their own and their journeys are always fascinating because they're unique unusual and very insightful there is a lot to learn from from people who keep going and who continue practicing let's start with where you are at the moment tell me where are you calling from first of all i just want to also um thank you for for your recognition um hearing really nice words about my english from someone who really has that native like fluency is really great I'm really happy to hear that. I am dialing into, into this call from Istanbul. It's where I'm based. Uh, right now, I am part of the international company. Um, it's a startup in a rapid delivery business, a grocery delivery. It's called Getir. Um, and I at Getir, I do talent acquisition. I'm the talent acquisition business partner for uh, legal teams. So I partner with the uh, chief legal officer, global chief legal officer to build uh, legal teams across European countries. So that's what you do. You, you have to hire legal professionals. Is that right? Yeah. I have to interview really a lot of uh, lawyers every day. And I have to um, help the heads of legal in every country to build their own legal teams. And that's fascinating. And how did you get into HR? Let's go back in time a little bit. You were born and raised in Kyrgyzstan, right? Then you yeah. moved to Moscow where I met you. And when I met you, you were a coordinator. You were basically penciling in meetings that I was taking later. And how did you get into HR? Because that was a surprise for me too when I learned that, oh, you're in HR now. How did you get there? Yeah. Uh, as you rightfully mentioned, uh, when we were back in this uh, British um, financial services company, I also had no idea how I wanted to like design my own career and my path. But it's something that I always knew. I had to try a lot of things before arriving at that career path. So before I found myself in talent acquisition, HR recruitment, I've tried really different careers. Um, I've worked in a British embassy for a while as an intern. I worked as an educational counselor, just helping teens to, to find their bachelor's degree programs. I worked um, in sales as well. And I worked as a customer support for a tech company as well. I mean, I've done really a lot of things before I arrived into HR. I really did that trial and error. But when I arrived in, into my first role in talent acquisition five years ago, um, I really didn't think that this would be my career. I was just really coming into this with an open mind just to 
to see and try and like see how I feel. But at that time, uh, it was a really interesting opportunity. I was based in Moscow, but I got this job, which was really global and international. I was part of the team, which was sitting in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for a really fluent um, English speaker who would support that talent acquisition team from Moscow. So that's how it all started. So basically you got, you got this job, as you said, it was an entry-level job simply because you had good English skills. Is that right? Exactly. I wouldn't have been hired unless I had like shown that good level and excellent level of English. All right. So And you liked it, so you stayed, did you? I did love it because it was actually a chance to explore something new, but at the same time, as I'm a really continuous learner of English, it was actually a chance for me to practice English in a business scene, like listen to how people are using English and trying to arrive at that level where you sound like uh, nearly like a native speaker. Did you have to sound like a native speaker for your job? It wasn't really like a requirement, uh, but it was important for me to speak the good English because I I've collaborated with um, recruiters and colleagues from various uh, European countries. I've collaborated with uh, candidates from different countries as well. So I just really had to speak good English in order to make myself understandable, in order to understand them and uh, basically do my job well. You know, it's interesting that you say that. When I interview people and when I talk to my students, I ask them this question all the time or, you know, before somebody wants to work with me, I always ask this question, is this something that you have to do at work? Does your English really influence your business performance? And in 99% of the cases, people will say, no, I can still close deals with the level of English that I have right now. My current level of English is not exactly preventing me from being promoted. It's not really a job requirement. So it's never an external environment, but people who feel the urge and the need to continue learning, they feel that it's this internal driving force. It's coming from within. And they have, I don't know what it is. I can only talk from my experience. Let's say I, I spent five years in Germany. I had lived there. And I remember that I wanted to improve my pronunciation. I seriously worked on my pronunciation out of respect because not because I wanted them to confuse me for a native speaker. I would always receive those comments. Oh, you're French. Your, your German is so cute. You speak German with a French accent. I was like, I don't speak a word in French. <laughs> Where does that come from? But I did it out of respect. I was listening to songs every day on my way from school. And I, I was repeating and I was really practicing because I wanted to be understood. It was a nightmare for me to pick up the phone and start calling people because I needed to find an apartment. You know, like renting an apartment, my first apartment in Germany was a nightmare. And I couldn't understand people. They couldn't understand me. So I wanted to learn it out of respect because I was I was planning to live in that country for at least some time. And I wanted to be understood and I wanted to speak the same language. It was never an external requirement, but it was this internal desire. And you're basically saying the same. Yeah, I think learning English or whatever language you're learning has to come from within, has to be connected to your life somehow, your values or your goals, because it's a journey, it's a continuous learning journey where you have to find that motivation that's going to 
keep you going. I think you have to find purpose and um, a will from inside of you, from your heart or from your brain that's going to keep you going forward. You know, I talk to a lot of people. I work with a lot of learners and uh, many people talk about motivation. But in reality, I think people mean stimulation. <laughs> people are looking for external stimulation to something that will keep them going rather than rely on myself and have enough faith in myself to keep going. They're looking for some external methods, for some excellent teacher, for some school, something that will stimulate them or even take their money. You know, <laughs> That would be their stimulation to continue learning. And I think that motivation is probably not the right word. I think inspiration is a better word. And personal interest. I see this pattern that people who continuously practice English, and again, it's important to differentiate between learning English and practicing English. People see learning English as a finite process. They say, I need to learn English, which means they expect to be done with learning English one day. <laughs> people who continue practicing, <clears throat> they say, I'm practicing. And language is so important I love this quote, which says the limits of my language means mean the limits of my world. Because when you say I'm practicing, you start practicing <laughs> and you understand that this is going to be a continuous process. And what I see in those people who actively choose to practice English rather than find a method to learn English is that they all have personal interest in learning the language. And the content they choose to work with and the things they choose to do and the exercises they select, they are inspired by personal interest. You're saying that you got that first job simply because your English skills were already excellent back then. Well, they were good for the job. I'm sure your English skills are way better today, right? If I can remember myself, 10 years ago, I used to think that my English skills were excellent. Today, I think, oh my God, you know, who was that person? <laughs> But I mean, if you got that job simply because you spoke good English, what had you done to get your English to that level? Like how many years ago was that? What was your personal interest to learn English and speak English that well? I had quite a path up to that point where I got this job in talent acquisition and recruitment. Ever since I can remember myself since childhood, I had this dream in my head that I wanted to go to the U.S. As a visionary person I am, I really would, as a child, imagine American high school, yellow buses, uh, peanut butter sandwiches, and all of that interesting stuff. Uh, probably got it from movies or something from TV. But that was something that really was my biggest interest of my whole childhood, which got me uh, going with my learning of English. And my learning of English, mastering of English wasn't really like I went to one school or one course and they taught me all of it. It was really scattered around different situations, different different courses. Um, my teachers at school, like they gave me some, this some kind of basis, but then I had, to, like my parents also bought me this um, DVD disc with some courses in it that also really contributed to my English. Then I got the, that interest into R&B music at that time when I was young. I would really listen to those songs and also like capture some words from there that my dream actually came true at the end. I've worked really hard to get um, into this program, which is called uh, Flex, where you're selected amongst like 2000 um, students to, to be able to go 
to the U.S. and experience this American life. You mean high school yeah. students? Mm-hmm. High school students, yeah, exactly. So out of uh, like 2,000 people, I was uh, chosen among the like 70 people. So it was quite a harsh uh, competition there. I went to the U.S. That was actually the really interesting point of my life. This is when I started practicing all of my English that I was just learning and like remembering words. When I was in that community culture and just the family, this is when I started really mastering it, like practicing it, like in real life situations. And like, So yeah. you did your last year in high school in the US and you were staying with the host family. Is that correct? Yes. So you spent 12 months in the U.S. and then you got back to Kyrgyzstan, right? Yes. You mean that you drastically improved your English in the U.S.? I think I've improved how I spoke English. I've improved my speaking skills. Actually, I really did have pretty good vocabulary before I went there because I was this nerd at school, which really would learn a lot of words. You wouldn't Um, have been selected if you didn't speak enough English for the program. (laughs) (laughs) You, you had to you had to show uh, like a good command of English to be able to participate in that program. But the the speaking part, what I got from the U.S. was that actual drive for like keep going with the with the language. Because at that point, I saw how my hard work learning English got me there, and I saw that ways that I could also connect. English to my career at that time um, after I got back from US I wanted to become an interpreter so that was the way how I connected learning English to my personal life my professional life after you got back from the US you decided to become an interpreter right yeah as a visionary person what was your dream like how did you see yourself in the future I've imagined myself sitting in a booth in a UN convention um, like UN conference I've Imagine myself help different individuals, officials to be understood in different languages. Um, I thought that I would really travel the world. I would be part of the UN. I think it was a really, really huge dream at the time, which got me going with my interpretation and translation studies at the time. But I didn't become an interpreter at the end. Why? Why didn't you start chasing that dream? I think it was my second year in university where I understood that um, to be able to do simultaneous interpretation, and that's a really tough thing to do, I had to go through four or five years of written translation. This was not something that I that I was excited about. I didn't want to be on my computer all the time and not be able to talk to other people and speak with uh, other individuals and collaborate. And also, um, I just realized that you can learning English, mastering that this language is not something you can um, define in I don't know four year curriculum at university. This is not effective because y- you can never stop learning English. So the the, the classes that I've got in university. Um, I just started realizing that they're not really applicable to real life or business situations. I just started realizing that academic English is is a bit different. It's a bit alienated from real life. So I thought that I should find something else to do in my life, like other than interpretation. But at the same, I also got this ideation that learning English 
has to be creative. It has to be not completely connected to academia. It has to be like more, more versatile, I would say. I can understand you so well. I mean, I can relate to this so much. When we were getting ready for this interview, you said this line, which I think is genius. You said English cannot be a degree, which is correct. Even when they advertise those bachelor programs to students, they say that you complete the program, uh, you get your bachelor's degree, and you're going to be fluent in English, which is simply not true. Not everybody who graduates becomes fluent no. in English. And if I remember myself, <laughs> when I graduated, I thought I was fluent. But if I compare myself, you know, back then with myself today, I'm much more fluent today. <laughs> and that was what motivated me. And, and actually, that's why I started my company in 2015, because I wanted to bridge the gap between academic English and business English. The way English was taught was absolutely not helping business professionals. And unfortunately, business professionals, you know, how, how does it work? You probably know, like an HR manager, taunt learning and development, right? Professionals. Yeah. Learning yeah. and development professionals, they find an online school that organizes English classes for the entire team, and everybody gets the same textbooks, and everybody starts taking the same program, which is, again, an academic program using methods that, are, you know, they're pretty universal standard and accepted in the academic world. And it's not really helping business professionals in real-life situations. So I wanted to yeah. bridge that gap. And uh, I can totally understand. For example, when I went to Germany for the first time, I went to Germany right after I graduated from the university in Kazakhstan. My memories of German classes were still very fresh. And I could remember learning topics. That was the thing. We were learning topics. <laughs> quote unquote, learning topics in German classes where we're supposed to learn the topic of climate change or learn the topic of, I don't know, global solutions or learn the topic of, I don't know, food poisoning, whatever. And then when I got to Germany, I was like, what was I doing? Like, why? <laughs> I don't need any of that here. <laughs> we start talking about climate change and you wonder that like, like standing in a supermarket. Yeah, exactly. I, I couldn't understand my host parents, my host family. Uh, they picked yeah. me up from the airport and I could understand maybe half of what they were telling me. But it got even worse when we when we got home and their children started talking to me. I couldn't understand anything. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that so much. I, I also have that the same story when I really got first got into the U.S., I was not able to speak like for the first couple of weeks, for sure. The only words that I knew at the time, like that I spoke at the time were just yes or no. And I remember that there was this really awkward moment when probably was my host mom asked me, how do you feel? And I said, yes. <laughs> it was like this story haunts me so much because this was so awkward because I went there like feeling that I knew some kind of English I was like feeling great about myself because I really got selected out of like 2,000 people but if you don't use it in real life situations um, I mean you can't just say that you you speak English really well can we go deeper into that that is such an interesting topic, this barrier, the psychological barrier that you felt, this inability to utter more words, <laughs> more than yes or no. You knew more words. You could speak, but you couldn't. 
what was it? Was it shame? Like you said, oh, I, I was very proud of myself because I got selected, but in reality, I, I, I'm not sure I'm good enough, you know? What was it? Two sides of that, I think. The two sides of the coin here. First is actually psychological, like um, feeling that, uh, as you said, like, I was selected because I was good enough, but how can I not speak and um, answer that question? And this, the other part of that is actually... I mean, I can't believe I can't answer this question. Is that the self yeah. The yeah, I think at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this like self-reflection at the moment. I was like, um, like, how could I not answer that simple question? Why I was just saying that this haunts me so much because I was really surprised how I knew so many words, but I just could not say anything. Um, another other side of that is actually not being able to practice English English that much when I was in Kyrgyzstan because. It's just simple as, um, I think, just a child learning to walk. Um, they just, they master it because they do that every day. They practice it. And then that's how they become good at it, which was not the case for my spoken English. I I don't remember if I really had practiced speaking English. I really didn't have much practice. That's why I was not able to speak anything. Okay. Um yeah with me it was really i think it was shame and 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 embarrassment both together because i can relate to it so much to your story meaning i went to the u.s for the first time also because i was good you know i was selected but when i arrived i could understand maybe a third of what people were telling me when i arrived in the u.s for the first time and i was 18 um, and I did this work and travel. You know, I, I worked in the U.S. Uh, two summers in a row. And I could understand only a third of what people were telling me. And I felt so bad about myself. I was like, how how is it even possible? You know, I am so good back home and I'm so terrible here. <laughs> I must have been doing something wrong. You know, I'm, I'm learning something wrong. Like it just it just just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I can relate to that so much. But again, I don't think I was attentive enough to my own learning experience when I when I visited the U.S. It was such a short trip each time, three months here and then three months next summer. And I was so busy working, you know, hustling, you know, meeting people. I knew this was a very short trip and I wasn't really attentive to my learning experience back then. If you ask me what I learned in the U.S. or what was the biggest improvement I can't even answer this question. I was completely unaware of my learning process. I was not paying attention to what I was improving. I could definitely see what I was doing wrong. I knew that I didn't understand people. And I was focusing so much on the negative aspect, on all my failures, on all the things that I couldn't do right. I was definitely focused on those things, but I didn't really work on fixing those things. I didn't really work on fixing my mistakes. And I was completely inattentive so inattentive. I just, it's unimaginable to me right now. But when I went to Germany some years later, that's when I started being very attentive to my learning process because I I really needed to speak good German. I I needed to speak enough German to enter the university and do my master's program. And I started becoming very aware. Like I started practicing being very aware of my learning process and the experience was completely different. Was it the same for you or were you, can you say that you learned something in the U.S. 
about learning English or about practicing English that you do till this day? I think my trip to the U.S. was really um, something that taught me that learning English, mastering English is not something that you can achieve just sitting in one classroom with with one teacher. It's not something you can... Um, it's not that simple, right? So I just learned that um, in order for my English to be, to get better every day, I had to take really different steps. And I knew that, for example, I'm just reflecting on uh, my different career changes. Um, when I started working in um, financial services company, I took a class in Coursera about accounting. So this was not an English course about accounting vocabulary. This was an actual course for finance professionals. This was a course for accountants mm -hmm. to, to learn some different concepts. So I knew that the best way to learn English is to, to learn it in like in different dimensions. So for example, this uh, finance thing, right? In order for me to be able to pick up some language uh, vocabulary about finance, I I put myself into like the situation where I'm an accountant and I have to, I don't know, collaborate with other teams or I have to calculate different things. I understood that I learning English has to be, I'm not sure if I, if I can say this is situational. I think it's just... Um, It has to be connected with a real, with a real life situation, real life career, um, or I don't know a real life, um, I don't know story or profession. So I always knew that books about learning English are not going to get me that far. They can, they gave me the basis, I can say, but the fact that I really speak this good English, the fact that I Um, I can build partnerships at work. I can uh, manage stakeholders by speaking the same language with them was because I really dived into different specific areas. So be it marketing um, or legal uh, or finance. So I really <clears throat> put myself into different shoes of those kind of professionals to practice better English, master English in that area, professional area, I would say. Can you share how you take those online courses? So you, let's say if you start a job in a financial company and you need accounting vocabulary, you just go and, and take a course for accountants so that you can speak the same language with them, right? How do you, it's interesting, um, and um It's admirable, I should say. No, I, I would give up the first day. I mean, if I took a course on accounting, it's totally not my thing. But can you share that your process of taking those online courses, it's, it's also something that is so difficult for people to do because online courses are becoming entertaining video libraries. And that's it. You're supposed to watch a bunch of videos and then you get a certificate and you're done. How did you approach taking online courses And did you measure your results? Like how much did you get from that course? Did you retain a lot of vocabulary? Did you get phrases? Did you get a, a separate words? What did you get from those courses from those courses? And did you measure your results in any way? 
How did you take them? First of all, I was easy on myself, right? So I came to to that course with uh, certain goals. I did not come here to become an accountant. So like, let's start there. I I was not really putting pressure on myself to actually learn how to become an accountant. Like I had clear goals, like two, if I can be um, like certain. So first I had to pick up the vocabulary and phrases that accounts accountants are using. Uh, just uh, how they use it, certain words, how they communicate. Um, and number two um, is actually, I was able to pick up a little bit on how accountants think, right? So how, mm-hmm. how, like the logic behind their actions or just like cognitive part of their job. So that, that was also um, an important part. And I would always have a dictionary at my side, always. Um, I mean, it, now with technology, it's so easy. You can um, add, have editions where just click to that word, you will know the translation. So I would listen to to a lesson, for example, which was like five minutes. And when I was listening and I would pick up different words that I didn't understand, um, that I would, uh, sometimes I would just guess the word, but then I would double check whether I was right or wrong. If I was just like away from my computer, right, doing something and just listening to that course. Uh, or if I was just like this, before my computer, I would click and just um, find out what that word meant. And I would either take that mental note or just um, write it somewhere. So mm-hmm. was it was really important to capture words and make sure that I understand and make, making sure that I was understanding them correctly, not just guessing Right. So making sure that I guessed it right as well or wrong. That is amazing. So, so many people do the play the game of guessing. And actually, you know, in the system of exercise that I teach, like nine skills to get to native like fluency, questioning your ideas is one of those, one of those skills, which means if you think you understand, you better check if you really understand. And when people listen to native speakers, they guess a lot. And I can relate to this so much because as I told you, when I first went to the U.S., I was doing a lot of guessing and I couldn't really check myself. Today, with technology, it's so much easier. But even without technology, I mean, it's still easy to check yourself. You simply ask people. I didn't dare to ask back then. <laughs> I would rather pretend I understood. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I wanted to also highlight something important that you said about learning from different people. I differentiate between advanced level students and advanced learners because advanced learners of English are those people who keep going and they understand the value in developing their cognitive abilities in, in a foreign language because that that's what really sets you apart. That That's what allows you to get to the next level. When you stop focusing on your grammar and vocabulary, just enlarging your vocabulary and learning more grammar and understanding more rules and taking more exams, and instead you focus on communication and on developing your cognitive abilities in a foreign language, which are reading, processing information, remembering things, uh, giving things your attention, comprehending, uh, like a lot of them, and an advanced level student is a student who has probably 
taken the exam and passed it and they have a an advanced certificate, a certificate that says they're an advanced level student. An advanced learner is somebody who doesn't need one teacher anymore. We all start here we need a teacher. We need somebody who will explain things to us because we're totally clueless. But advanced learners can learn from many people because they have high levels of self-awareness. They understand their own learning process. They are aware of their failures and their successes. They're not focused on their failures only. And they can learn from many people, from any situation. Like you can take an online course. For somebody, it's just a course. For somebody, it's just a stupid idea. Take a course in accounting. But you actually... <laughs> achieve your goal somebody will say oh it's just a tv show you know it's not real practice you have to take a a, a real course but people who can learn they will learn what they need from a tv show you can learn from children you can learn from so many different people you don't need one teacher anymore i agree you also said that you learned from tv shows what specifically do you learn and uh, what tv shows do you watch so it really, really is different uh, depending on what stage of my career I was at or different areas that I focused on as a talent acquisition uh, well, specialist. Let's focus on now. What do you do now? <laughs> well, what do you want to improve now and what do you practice now? Since right now, I focus on legal hiring and it's a really specific subject. Uh, you have to understand how legal, legal teams work and how they're designed. And I was able to get that level where I can do that really well was watching TV shows like Suits. Um, what else? And, I mean, other TV shows as well. So I was able to pick up the language from those TV shows. I was able to pick up the pattern that lawyers were using i was able to understand the logic behind their actions i was able to see how different legal teams were organized and designed so when i started recruiting lawyers i was not completely clueless um like i had some idea but i still keep watching different tv shows um Suit specifically is because when I, for example, rewatch some of the some of the episodes, I am also able to reflect that I, for example, oh, this is something new. Like even though I watched that episode like four years ago, today I can pick up something and say, hey, um, this is something new. This is something that I'm learning right now. This is great. So yeah. TV shows do help me to to get the vocabulary, the language, but also it also gives me like a sneak peek to the mind of lawyers, how they work, how they think, and how they operate, which is really helpful in my daily job. Great. So you focus on the vocabulary and on the thinking that's happening behind using that vocabulary. Yeah. Do you also take, as you said previously, mental notes and handwritten notes when you watch those episodes and TV shows? I mean, how do you retain that vocabulary? Do you have notes that you go back to or do you never go back to your notes? So if I've learned something new, I mostly take a mental note because I also have a photographic memory. If I've Googled something, I'll remember how it's written. I'll also remember what that what this means. So that means that I don't really need to rely so much on written notes. 
but sometimes I do uh, get written notes as well, but mostly mental ones. Um, but thing about writing notes and making notes is uh, you actually, when you write something, you can actually better understand and you can better remember what you just wrote. 100%, yes. I I take mental notes too, but I can rely on my short-term memory only as much as I can. <laughs> because I know that if I don't write it down, I will forget. So I do a lot of writing with my hand because otherwise I simply forget. Even though yeah. I, I also have good... Um, visual memory uh, I would maybe say I'm more and um, you know my audible channel is probably even more developed if I listen to something I remember it better than if I see it and it's it's so important to know yourself right to be aware of your strong strengths so if you know that photographic memory is your strength you can rely on it uh, like like Mark in suits right you can rely on his talent <laughs> And if you know that you're somebody who forgets things instantly, you, you'd better write them down. Yeah, I agree 100%. You have to commit. Um, and if taking notes is going to help you, you should do that. Yeah, exactly. What do you like? Do you have to uh, improve your English for your job? Are there any signs of for promotion? If you speak better English, is that a requirement in your job right now? Not necessarily. I don't think like my manager is really paying attention to the level I, of English that I use. Um, though it helps uh, that I speak the good, the good level of English, but I think it's also uh, really personal as well because I have my personal goals. Um, I have my career goals where uh, learning English is going to help me and it is helping me. But it's not necessarily a requirement, I would say. But you said they don't necessarily pay attention to your level of English. Do they pay attention to your communication style? Oh, they do. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> what, are the guys here? what are the requirements here? Can you share with us? I think I would really not get feedback on whether my, for example, an email I wrote was grammatically correct. I would get more feedback on how it was styled, how I was conveying my main message. I would get uh, feedback on uh, the, I don't know, the tone of my message as well. Um, yes, the tone, yeah. That is the important part, being able to use English in different situations and communicating clearly. Um, that is something that would uh, be important in my daily job. Yes, uh, and that's what I teach as well. Um, and, and that's what I mean by developing cognitive abilities. It also means being able to understand if your message is actually received and if people receive the same message that you intend to send. That's yeah. very important. <clears throat> what uh, practice routine, if you have any, do you have any deliberate practice routine right now to continue improving your English? What do you do consistently or on a regular basis? Consistency is key, right? We, we hear it from really different channels. Um, and I really believe that even though I'm at that level of my career where I, I am actually doing a great job, I have like an influence at work, um, I still do feel the need mm -hmm. to keep practicing it. Like 
You can always know everything. And as you said, English is not something that you can complete in four stages and just say, I'm the best English speaker ever. So I do have a routine, uh, which is um, like threefold. Uh, it's listening to different podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, again, those podcasts are not about learning English. They're about situational English. Like they're about... Uh, HR, recruitment, or psychology, uh, business, politics, or something. How often do uh, you that's, yeah. How often do you listen uh, to podcasts? Almost daily. Uh, when I when I walk my dog out, I, I always put on some podcasts to listen to uh, because I really like that feeling when you're listening to something and you you feel how your brain is working because you're trying to understand what the person is saying. You're trying to like pick up some words, a vocabulary. I really love that feeling. So I almost do it daily. Okay. What's the second yeah. thing that you do? I really talked a lot about TV shows, but I'm going to mention it again. TV shows are really a good instrument for me. Um, and in picking up the, the first, the vocabulary in the area. And number two is picking up the logic um, and the way that, certain professional things for example if we're talking about legal tv shows tv shows do help me understand how lawyers think uh, or if i'm watching a tv show and i've recently watched billions it was a really nice tv show about uh, investments and finance so i've also really understood how portfolio managers think how different ceos think how they um take different decisions so i can never like overestimate the the influence of tv shows on my learning path of english and reading nonfiction for for professional purposes for for academic purposes as well i'm currently enrolled in a two-year um program master's degree program for um organizational psychology so that means that i have to write a lot of essays and to write good essays I have to have sources so that's why I'm reading a lot of um, scientific um, articles mm -hmm. for different topics is writing difficult for you do you find it easier to write in, in English to write academic papers specifically in English this is a really funny thing about me right um, I spoke Russian nearly all of my life but I find it easier for me to write in English for some reason because I think I, I'm also really catching myself sometimes that I'm thinking in English, which is really unusual, or, or maybe it's just the influence of uh, a lot of content that I'm like um, uh, listening to. Um, I tend to think in English a lot more than in Russian, and then hence that's also makes writing in English easier for me. So yeah. And you have experiences when you did your bachelor's. You probably also did a lot of written assignments, right? Yeah. So um, when I was uh, qualifying to become an interpreter, um, the, the, those four years, I written all of my assignments in English. Yeah, correct. You have some experience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. So listening to podcasts on a daily basis, watching TV shows, and reading nonfiction, all the three things that you have mentioned are job-related. So you listen to professional podcasts, you write papers to get a degree, right? So to move on with your career, to move on in your career. 
and you watch TV shows, they can help you understand lawyers. You said that there must be some personal goal or that you have a personal and a professional goal. Is there anything personal that keeps you going, not job related? Of course. Um, I think it always have been personal because my childhood dream to go to the U.S., which uh, for, I don't know, 15 years of my like my life kept me going with my learning English. That was really personal. I wanted to experience that American life, and I and I did. Um, and then I kept finding my personal reasons for learning English. And this background um, big reason for me to keep learning English was actually moving to um, a country uh, where people spoke English. So I have this plan in my personal life as well to move um, to the Netherlands where uh, people speak English um, every day. So they do speak Dutch and they do speak um, English. Mm-hmm. So that that is deeply personal, I would say. And that's your current dream to relocate. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and where is home right now? So uh, I know you're in Istanbul, but that's probably temporary, right? Yes, it is temporary. Um, where is home? If you had to leave Istanbul, where would you go? Um, this is the trick about my life. I think uh, I haven't really found a place where I would feel that this is the home. So I'm always searching for for a home. So the reason that I left Kyrgyzstan um, and lived in the U.S. that was also like searching for something and experiencing something. And then I also moved to Russia that was also a search for something and for a meaning and for home. Um, then I moved again to, to Istanbul. Um, I can't say that I completely feel at home. It's temporary, as I said. So the next destination would be uh, hopefully Netherlands. And let's see if I will feel at home there. But You didn't yeah. find home in Moscow, did you? No, I wasn't able to. So it's probably this inner search for home that keeps you yeah. going. That motivates you, that inspires you to continue yeah. learning. Interesting. And you, you imagine people speak English in that place that you can call home. Yeah, definitely. Because I cannot imagine myself mastering another language in in a, such a short period of time. My whole life was about learning English and still is. But you so also I think... speak Turkish, do you? Don't you? You, you also speak Turkish. I do. But um, it's a bit different about Turkish. It was for more of a practical reasons for me to be able to travel, to be able to get by in shops, shopping centers or things like that. Now, when you live yeah. in Istanbul, can you, I mean, easily communicate with everybody in Turkish? Yeah, I can. I can, but it's nowhere near my level of English. Like, there's a long way there. And I'm not sure if I'm going to take that path. And are you um, motivated to improve your Turkish? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm currently improving it daily by just uh, using it daily. And by, again, watching TV shows. That is helping a lot. You watch TV shows in Turkish? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, that's a proven good technique for me. That's been proven time and time again that it's good. So I'm just using that strategy as well. I guess uh, people who can't understand the value of watching TV shows or learning from TV shows 
must be either doing something wrong or <laughs> um, this method is simply not for them because this method is not for everyone. What you're describing yeah. is that you're you're describing the ability to practice focused attention when you watch a TV show, which is a very interesting cognitive skill. A lot of people who think that they're learning or improving their English when they sit back, relax, and watch a TV show, uh, they're not giving the movie their focused attention or any attention, actually. They say to be entertained. And even though they tell themselves the story of, I'm improving my English by watching Netflix every day, <laughs> in in fact, they're simply maintaining the level that they already have. They're not improving anything. Because if you ask them immediately, after they have finished watching um, another episode, what did you learn? They're not able to answer this question. They know that they watched a movie scene. They know that they watched another episode, but they don't know what they learned. And I think if I asked you, what did you learn from this episode? Would you be able to give me an answer immediately? Yeah, of course, because I come to watch that episode with the, with the goal. I want to learn something. I want to pick up something that I can use in my professional life. So I'm really, I become focused to to gain some kind of knowledge and I do so I can easily tell so you have a little vocabulary after each episode is that right yeah uh, which is not necessarily written but I, it's in my head certainly and I, because I watch it with subtitles yeah so that I can pick up how it's written so I can memorize it on the spot yeah it's funny that you can do this for example I can't <laughs> I need to either take screenshots or write things down. I can't rely on my memory that much. <laughs> it's, it's amazing that you can. <laughs> okay. Um, it has been a pleasure talking to you. And I think we can do this all day, <laughs> uh, but we have to wrap it up. And I want to ask you if you can give advice to someone who feels stuck or demotivated or doesn't know how to keep going. And the more I ask this question, because I ask all my guests this question, the more I think that this question is kind of meaningless because everyone has such different routines and everyone's story is so individual. We're so alike, yet you can't copy somebody else's personality. You can't copy their abilities, their goals, their dreams, and all these individual factors are very important. However, let me rephrase it. What if somebody who is listening right now can relate to what you're saying and they have some of the skill set that you do have? Uh, for example, they can visualize things. They can take mental notes easily. They have photographic memory. They are a dreamer because they need to um, visualize the experience. You see, what you're doing is you visualize your future experience. You don't necessarily see the end goal, but you have to visualize the experience for yourself. And moving toward that like visual image, moving toward that vision helps you take effort every day. If somebody who's listening can relate to that, what would be your advice to them? Somebody who shares your ambition, your dreams, and your skill set. If anyone who feels stuck at the moment or in a need of inspiration or stimulation, um, I would say that try to find um, your personal um, meanings and goals and like reflect on them and kind of connect those uh you, those reasons and meanings in your life with learning English. Try to visualize something in your life that you really want and connect it to English. Like um, 
as I did with my childhood dream, right? I saw from my childhood when I was three or four years old, I saw that dream when I was uh, riding a yellow bus and uh, experiencing American life. And I, and I connected, I think I was smart enough really when I was a child, I connected learning English to that goal and to that vi visual dream. And that helped me to get there um, and achieve that. So you can visualize something, you can connect that, dream to learning English and you can then receive that inspiration to keep going. Yeah and you have to know what routine works for you right because you, you do have some routine and that's fascinating. All my guests people who have been pr continuously practicing their English without having to take any English courses without having a private teacher they're just inspired to keep going every day they all have some sort of routine even if they say oh i don't have any routine but when you start digging deeper it turns out they do something consistently daily there is something that they repeat consciously because they know it works like with you it's tv shows you know that it works so you apply to improving your turkish skills as well yeah exactly thank you so much for this conversation i really enjoyed it And guys, if you're listening to this and you have any questions for Nuri or you want to ask, you want to leave a comment, please do so in the comment section. Yeah, Dasha, thank you so much. Um, it's been a really insightful conversation for me because I reflected for the next couple of days. I really asked a lot of really good questions. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. <laughs> I'm really happy you enjoyed this as well.